Last week we discussed the day of Pentecost. If you were not with us, I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast uh, because it, it really is important for us to understand Pentecost as we get into uh, not just the sermon today, but uh, all of Acts. And we talked about Pentecost as a historical, epic-changing event where redemptive history officially transitions from the old to the new. The old covenant points to Jesus. Jesus comes and perfectly fulfills it and then institutes the new covenant. And it is at Pentecost where the new covenant is ushered in the first day of an entirely new age that will continue, that we are in now and will continue until Christ returns and ushers in the eternal age. Now today, we are going to get into the actual event of Pentecost with its admittedly rich imagery. One might even call it confusing imagery and symbolism. And what we are going to discover here is the nature of the new covenant. That is to say, the imagery that you see that I just read shows us what's new about the new. This is a new covenant. What's new in the new covenant? The imagery that I read shows us what that is. But it's important to understand up front that when I say new, it's not really new. And here's what I mean by that. The terms old and new covenant... Um, they, they can actually be a bit unhelpful in the way we conceptualize the scriptures. Because what it does is it implies two, uh, two things altogether different. That's not the case. It might be better to refer to the new covenant as the richer covenant, the, the fuller covenant, the perfected covenant, the greater covenant, these types of languages. I'll illustrate it this way. In the late uh, 80s, early 90s, something took place that changed the world forever. And I do mean the world forever. It was the advent of the internet. I think we can all agree that once the internet came into, onto the scene, uh, history will never be the same. We refer to it as the age of information, the information age, but it's not like information didn't exist before the internet. Of course it existed before the internet. It's that the internet forever changed the way we do information. And the major shift that took place was the power, the prevalence, the personalization, and so forth of information. So gone are the days of the Dewey Decimal system card catalog. You remember going to the library and pulling out your cards and looking it up and going to find half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was miserable for us in school. Um, the card catalog is gone, replaced by uh, powerful search engines. Gone are the days of information being mastered and available to a select group of experts, replaced by everyone with access to all information, information such that everyone now is an expert, or so they think. Gone are the days of diligent research for answers to life's questions, replaced by a simple request to Siri. 
Whereas before the fullness of information was this daunting, massive, overwhelming, barely accessible reality, now in the new age that has dawned, the entirety of information is now individually owned, belongs to me, accessible to me with a little device in my pocket. That is a helpful way to conceptualize the transition from old to new covenant. It's not like we're talking about two completely different realities. We're talking about the same stuff. The subject's the same throughout the Bible. God's promises, God's redemption, God's salvation, God's work in this world. This is what the Old Testament is about, and this is what the New Testament is about. But Jesus is the advent of a new age. Not something altogether new. We're still talking about the same thing. But the newness is found in that the content of the Old Testament is now fuller, greater, superior, dare I say, individualized in the new covenant. And all of that, as I said last week, burst onto the scene on the day of Pentecost, which is what I want us to explore this morning. What's new about the new? What's new? What's different after the day of Pentecost? There is so much that I could say here, but I'm going to give us four. To aid in your memory, they all start with P. So you think Pentecost, P, Pentecost. So here are, here are the, the four P's that are different after Pentecost. A new possession, a new proclamation, a new presence, and a new power. Now, the first point, a new possession, that's going to dominate my time this morning because that really is what's different about the new covenant. Okay, so we're going to spend a lot of time with the new possession and then the others will kind of flow out of that. But let's start with a new or maybe greater or better possession. This is, without a doubt, the most significant change between the old and new, and it is the central focus of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was, of course, alive and active, but only for special tasks and special moments of redemption. This is not unlike the Son of God Himself, who would show up in the Old Testament through what we call Christophanies. These are pre-incarnate appearances, manifestations of Jesus. So for instance, before the battle of Jericho, Christ appears to Joshua as a mighty warrior. Well, this is similar to the Spirit's work in the Old Testament. He shows up throughout for specific tasks. Obviously, the Miraculous moments of the Old Testament are the work of God's powerful spirit. So you can go through all of those and ask how did they happen and the answer is the spirit of God. But more specifically and really important for our purposes, the spirit's role was to anoint the Old Testament prophet, priests, and kings. For example, 
The Spirit of the Lord would come upon a prophet to speak the word of the Lord to God's people, to say, thus saith the Lord. That's how prophecy, when I say prophecy, I'm not talking about just prediction. That's how revelation, maybe a better word, that's how revelation took place in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon a prophet and he would speak on behalf of God. Or consider that famous line in Psalm 51 where King David pleads with God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's not David pleading that he would not lose his salvation. That's a plea for him to not lose his anointed office as king of Israel. Now, recall what takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Do you remember what happened? There's this glorious uh, Trinitarian moment where the Father announces, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit descends upon the Son, empowering Him for His public ministry and work. And in the power and anointing of the Spirit, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the Spirit's anointing in the Old Testament. That is to say, He is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. So whereas in the Old Testament, the Spirit would show up and anoint For particular moments and roles, what we see in the ministry of Jesus is the Spirit descends upon Him to make Him the perfect prophet, perfect priest, perfect king. But then, as we looked at last week, Jesus promises a new age, marked by this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is the profound promise that Jesus and his fullness will be ours. That is to say, by the Holy Spirit, Christ now dwells within us. Now let me show you this development from the passage. That's all setting up the exegesis of the passage. Look at it with me. When the day of Pentecost came, we explained what that was last week, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were divided and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There are two phenomena that take place here. Wind and fire. Both of which are synonymous with the Holy Spirit. Wind speaks more to the work of the Spirit. Fire speaks more to the presence of the Spirit, specifically the communicating presence of the Spirit, like in the burning bush, so to speak. And both of these are present here. The howling of a violent wind fills the room, meaning the Spirit is about to do something extraordinary. And they see, what, they see what appear to be tongues of fire. What does that look like? I have no idea. What this is communicating, however, is the presence of spirit, specifically the communicating presence of the spirit, thus tongues of fire. But what transpires next is the key to unlocking the significance of Pentecost. Pentecost is all about what I'm about to tell you, okay? 
This is the key to understanding what's transitioning from the old to the new. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated or divided and came to rest on each of them. The fire of the Holy Spirit separates and rests upon each of them. Each of them is not just each of the apostles. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. That all together, that, that, that all together is the, the, the earliest community of Christians that we are told was roughly 120. So you've got this 120 in that day was, was, was a local church, a local synagogue. So you've got one local community all together. The Spirit comes in fire, but interestingly divides so that it rests on each of them. Normal people like you and me, not prophets, not kings, not priests, normal people like you and me, not special anointed patriarchs like Moses and David. Every single member of the household of God is filled, it says, with the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter, when we get to this in our Old Testament reading, we already heard it. That's why Peter, when he explains this phenomenon, said this is what Joel was talking about when, when it says, I will pour up my flesh on everyone. <laughs> everyone, your children, your servants, everyone will be anointed. Not just kings, not just priests, not just Moses, everyone. All right, so let me sum up all of that with what's new, what's new with the new covenant. Jesus fulfills the old covenant and then baptizes his followers with his spirit so that his fullness now dwells in us. By the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. What this means is that unlike the older covenant, we no longer need a spirit-anointed prophet. We have the perfect prophet within. We no longer need a spirit-anointed priest. We have the perfect priest within. We no longer need a spirit-anointed king. We have the perfect king within. What's new about the new covenant is that what we need and was once so inaccessible under the old, we now individually possess within the new. All of the old, with all of its promises, now individually belong to us. This is why Jesus told his disciples that it is good for him to leave so that he can send his spirit who will inaugurate a new age where the presence of Christ can be multiplied, where the fire can be divided and spread to any and all who believe. I know we are tempted to envy the experience of the disciples and those who encounter Jesus personally, but Jesus actually says that we have something better. That's a direct quote for him, from him, that it's better. He views the new covenant as much better. Why? Because Christ inside me is far better than Christ beside me. So that's the main difference that was poured out at Pentecost. 
Now, with the rest of our time, I want to flesh out the benefits of Pentecost and this new covenant. We spent the bulk of our time talking about this new possession. Now let's talk about the implication of this new possession, which is a new proclamation, a new presence, and a new power. Let's briefly go through each of those. But to prep us for that, and this is really important, so stay with me here. We need to understand the connection between Sinai and Pentecost, Mount Sinai, and Pentecost. Mount Sinai took place 50 days after God's mighty work of salvation of his people through what we call the Exodus. 50 days later was Mount Sinai. Just as Pentecost took place 50 days after God's ultimate work of salvation through the cross and resurrection. That's the ultimate Exodus from slavery. Sinai was the establishment of the old covenant. Pentecost was the establishment of the new covenant. The revelation at Sinai, just like Pentecost, was accompanied by fire and wind and divine tongue. And so it could not be clear that Pentecost is meant to be the fulfillment of Mount Sinai, the true and better new covenant. But how so? Well, much like Jesus at Sinai, Moses fulfilled the role of prophet, priest, and king. First and foremost, Moses was a prophet. That was his role, called by God to speak, to declare, thus saith the Lord, to Egypt and to Israel. Now, he was not officially a priest of Israel because the priesthood had not yet been established, but he acted as one. Not only did he intercede on Israel's behalf, But most significantly, he established the priesthood and the sacrificial system of Israel. Likewise, he was not officially a king of Israel. The kingship had not been established yet, but he certainly acted as one. He was unquestionably their leader. He commanded them what to do and what not to do. And most significantly, he established the law of Israel. So at Sinai... Moses acts as a prophet, priest, and king of Israel. But of course, Jesus becomes the true and better Moses, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. And then at Pentecost, the Spirit comes upon us, and now Christ, the fulfillment, is within us. What this means is that the roles of prophet, priest, and king that were anointed by the Spirit in the Old Testament are now within us all. And that's what I want to briefly show you. What benefits come from this new possession? First, a new proclamation. This would be the role of prophet. You have to understand that under the old covenant, the people of God were completely dependent upon prophets to hear from God. The Spirit would anoint a prophet to speak and tell the people, thus saith the Lord, and that's how you heard from God. But then comes Jesus, the perfect prophet, in that he is the fullest proclamation of God to mankind. He is the full and final, thus saith the Lord, so to speak. We don't need any more prophets We don't need any new revelation. All that God has to say, he has said, 
in Jesus. But here's the twist. Pentecost ushered in a new age where by the Spirit we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We don't need a prophet. The prophet resides within. That is a dramatic change that we take for granted. So what is prophecy now? The Spirit-inspired Word of God speaking to the Spirit of God and dwelled within believers revealing the will of God. Here's what I mean. I'm a preacher, which makes me a prophet, but a prophet in a different sense. This is prophetic activity that I'm doing right now, but it's different. It's not like the prophets of old. You will never hear me say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I've got a new revelation from heaven. Thus saith the Lord, I've got something new to say. God has something new to say. If I start talking like that, fire me on Monday. Instead, here's how it works. I am a prophet in the sense of I get up here and do what I'm doing now. Expound, proclaim, and apply Jesus, the perfect prophet, to you, knowing that the Spirit of Jesus indwells you and will take the proclamation of Jesus and apply it to you. It is a new proclamation. We also have a new presence. This is the role of the priest. Likewise, the people of God under the old covenant were completely dependent upon a priest. The idea of the presence of God. You know, we just take that for granted. I'm going to go spend, I'm going to get some alone time with God. That's how Christians talk. Do you understand that in the older covenant, the idea of the presence of God brought holy dread? As it should. He was and is holy and unapproachable to sinners, except through the Spirit-anointed priests. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. So at Sinai, Moses got to experience the presence of God, this anointed, anointed moment where Moses gets to experience the presence of God, receive instructions for the sacrificial system that enabled priests of the Old Covenant to mediate the presence of God and man. Also, he was given instructions to build a tabernacle that would house the presence of God. But only the priests on behalf of Israel could enter into that presence. But then comes Jesus, the perfect priest, by being the very presence of God in flesh. When you are with Jesus, you are with God. And of course, Jesus is our great high priest. By fulfilling the sacrificial system as the perfect sacrifice, once and for all, opening the unmitigated presence of our holy God to any and all sinners who trust in Jesus. But here's the twist. Pentecost ushered in a new age whereby the Spirit, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We don't need a priest. The priest literally resides within You don't have to do anything to make yourself acceptable for the presence of God. That's been done for you. Likewise, you don't have to go to a tabernacle 
or a temple, for your heart has become the holy of holies, where the presence of Almighty God now dwells. Under the new covenant and because of Pentecost, you can literally commune with Almighty God. You can literally enjoy the presence of God. A new presence. Finally, a new power. I'm using this to describe the role of a king. The third office anointed by the Spirit in the Old Testament. You have to understand that under the older covenant, the power to defend and protect, the power to tell the people what they were to do and what they were not to do belonged to the king. This is why in the Old Testament, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Because the king held all the power and all the authority. If it was a good king, the nation flourished. If it was a bad king, the nation perished. And we see Moses play this role at Sinai. He comes down with the law of God telling people what to do. When they build an idol, he rebukes them and makes them destroy it. And even in their wandering years, Moses is treated with this kingly authority as the one who has all the power and authority and say so over the nation. But then comes Jesus, the perfect king. Perfectly protecting his people, subduing all enemies, even spiritual forces of darkness which tremble before his authority. This Jesus who demands his people bow down to him as king, as Lord. But who then discover that under his lordship is life. That is to say, Jesus the king says, this is what you are to do. But when he tells us what to do, we discover that what he tells us to do is always good for us. He is the perfect king. But here's the twist of Pentecost. Pentecost ushers in a new age where by the Spirit we are in Christ and Christ is in us. In the new covenant, we have no need for a king. The king abides We are defended and protected from the enemies of darkness that seek our destruction. Don't be scared of hell. Your king lives within. His demands are not written on stone tablets, but upon our very hearts. He tells us what to do because he lives inside us. And the reason you are restless in your sin is because your king lives in you and says, stop it. And the reason why you flourish in obedience is because your king lives within you, blessing your obedience. That is a dramatic change that we take for granted. The Lord abides with us, guarding, protecting, demanding, being our king at all times. So summing it up for us, and then we'll briefly apply it. As we saw last week, Pentecost is this historical moment where we officially transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. The New is altogether different from the Old only in expounding, fulfilling, improving, multiplying, perfecting. Not different, but better. All that the Older Covenant was finds its fullest in the New. And at Pentecost... This all becomes yours. What we see in Pentecost is that fire 
the Spirit divides and lands on each member of God's community individually. The Spirit is no longer reserved for prophets and priests and kings and Moseses and Davids and Abrahams. It's for you. All flesh I will pour out my Spirit upon. Meaning every single person here, if you are a follower of Jesus, possesses the fullness of promise that is found in Jesus because by His Spirit, Jesus is yours. You don't need a prophet. The perfect prophet is within. You don't need a priest. The perfect priest is within. You don't need a king. The perfect king is within. And so my brief closing question of application is this. Is the new covenant enough for you? In the new covenant, God has given you all that you need. Is that enough? Notice I did not say that in the new covenant, God has given you all that you want. That is not the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is that God has given you all that you need. I know you want different circumstances. I know you want more money. I know you want to find a satisfying career. I know you want to be healed of your terminal disease. I know you want a spouse. I know you want to get along with your spouse. I know you want children. I know you want your children to be successful and happy and flourish. I know if I were to say, what do you want? You can give me an endless list of wants. Heck, I want my stupid foot to heal. I'm tired of that. But friends, Pentecost and the new covenant does not promise you what you want. It promises you what you need and what you need is Jesus. And by the Spirit... Jesus is yours. Are the new covenant promises enough for you, even when your wants are not being met? Even when your circumstances are not what you want, even when you aren't getting what you want, is the new covenant and its promises that we just so flippantly take for granted Is the new covenant enough? I'll answer that for you. It is. Jesus is enough. Pentecost is enough. You have all that you need. May God give us the grace to see it that way. Let me pray. Lord, you have given to us your fullness. You have withheld nothing in Jesus in the new covenant, in the pouring out of your spirit, in the indwelling of the spirit, in the delivering of Christ and his promises, you have withheld nothing from us. We have all that we need. Forgive us for our complaining. Forgive us for our griping. Forgive us that we say the new covenant is not enough. We want more. Lord, let, let it be enough. And let this sacrament declare to our souls that you, Jesus, are enough. Holy Spirit of the living God, come, take these elements and feed our souls indwelt by the Spirit with the good news of the new covenant 
that Jesus is ours and that is enough. We pray in his name. Amen.